Father, this morning we come before you asking for wisdom and asking for an open heart to receive the message in Revelation 13. May we recognize our role and our place in these last days, and may we respond appropriately. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Revelation 13. I really wrestled with this chapter because there is such a current chapter. It is exactly the time of history that we are living in. So we could spend the whole 13 weeks studying Revelation 13 because there's so many intricate details and things that we need to look at. But uh, obviously we can't do that, and that's not the purpose of this class. So last week we made the assumption, and we're going to continue with this assumption, that we already know the identity of the two beasts. The first beast, or the leopard-like beast, we understand to be the papal power. The second beast with the lamb-like horns, who end up speaking like a dragon, that comes out of the earth, that is the United States of America. We just need to get that out of our system because I'm, we don't have the time to go through all of that. And that's not really the purpose of this class. You know, there's a Sabbath school class. And so, what I want to focus on this week. Last week we looked at a lot of big picture ideas, how everything climaxes in Revelation 13. It's the final phase of Satan's plan, the final fruition of everything that he's wanted since the beginning of the great controversy. And today I want to focus especially on the image to the beast. By the way, that's the title of this, this lesson study. Okay, so the image to the beast. Um, predominantly, it is found in Revelation, actually, Revelation chapter 13, verses 13 through 17. So if I could have a volunteer, volunteer, raise your hand. Okay, up here. <coughs> Please read it out with conviction. Revelation 13, verses 13 through 17. Thank you. Revelation 13, uh, 13 through 17. And he doth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men, and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. And he caused all, both small and great, rich and poor, <clears throat> free and bond, <clears throat> to receive <clears throat> a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Thank you very much. We are going to be diving into this few verses specifically in this class period. Okay? So first, we need to identify or we need to come to the understanding of what the image of the beast is. Okay? Now, taking a few steps back here, in verse 13 it says, And he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven. Who is that he in that verse? There's, that's right, okay. It was the beast, the second beast, with lamb-like horns, the one that speaks like a dragon, the one that came out of the earth. The second beast in Revelation 13, he brings fire down from heaven. So that's where we start. 
and that beast, in essence, leads to a creation of an image to the first beast. So the image to the beast is an image to the first beast, not the second beast. That's what I'm trying to establish here. So what is an image to begin with? If I were to make an image to myself or image of myself, what do you suppose, you know, using your imagination, what would it be? What would it look like? <laughs> okay, so it'll be, it'll look like me, right? You're not going to see a, a cow, you know, you're not going to see a golden calf or the Statue of Liberty. You know, you're going to see something that resembles my features, my characteristics, whatever. So an image to the beast simply is a representation or a likeness of or likeness to. So the image to the first beast, basically, what we're seeing is that the second beast or the United States of America eventually will lead to a creation of a very similar image or representation of the papal power. That's the image of the beast. And we are actually going to uh, look at that a little bit more. Okay, so what is, the, what is the defining characteristic of the papal power? What is the defining characteristic of the papal power? Let's look at the Bible here. Revelation 13. Let's have another volunteer. We are going to read verse 1, and then we're going to skip to verse 4 through 6. So verses 1... Four, five, and six. Okay, go ahead. Okay, let's read the verse first. Let's have someone, um, a volunteer, anyone. All right, we have one in the back. And I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw the beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. Okay. Four through six? Four through six. And they worshiped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast. And they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies. And power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God, to blasphemy his name and his tabernacle, and them that dwell in heaven. Thank you very much. The first beast of Revelation, well, first of all, what, just to review, what does a beast represent in Bible prophecy? What is a symbol of? A kingdom or a political power. But specifically, this beast is a political power with religious connotations. How do I know that? Well, verse 1, it begins by saying he has the name of blasphemy. And then in verse 4, he receives worship. And in fact, it says, they sing the song of Moses to this beast. In Exodus 15, verse 11, we looked at it last week. They ask, you know, after they cross the Red Sea, who is like unto, oh, uh, who is like unto thee, O Lord among gods? And here in Revelation 13, they sing the same song to the beast. Who is like unto thee? Who is able to make war with thee? And then in verse 5 and 6, Key word repeats over and over and over and over is the word blasphemy. And blasphemy is a religious term, especially because he's blaspheming God. So this beast power 
or the papal power, the defining characteristic is an amalgamation or a union of a political power with a church power. It's the union of church and state. Now, to make this abundantly clear, let's take a few steps back, review a few other prophecies. In Daniel chapter 2, the portion of the image that represents the time period of the papal power is represented by the feet of iron and clay. And iron, we already established from Daniel 2, is Rome. But what does clay represent? Clay represents church. You can look this up in Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 6 through 9. O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord. As the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hands. But that's the potter's clay. And the feet goes from potter's clay. You can review this in Daniel 2 and changes to miry clay. And Psalm 40, verse 1, miry clay is something that sucks God's people in and they need to be rescued out of. So the church in Daniel 2, the clay, becomes corrupted. Starts as a pure church, becomes an apostate church. Union of church and state in the feet of iron and clay. In Daniel chapter 7, the little horn speaks great things and uh, wears out the saints of God, thinks to change times and laws. And we know that that little horn power is a religious power, but that little horn is sitting on top of a beast, sitting on top of the fourth dreadful beast of Revelation, or Daniel chapter 7, which is Rome, union of church and state. You can look in uh, Daniel chapter 8. The little horn, it has two phases. The first phase, pagan Rome. Second phase, papal Rome. It, it, it goes against even um, the prince of the host. And then we also, we can look in um, Daniel chapter 10 through 11. We studied all about the king of the north. King of the north plants the, oh man, tabernacle of his palaces. There you go. Tabernacle, religious term, of his palaces, political term. Union of church and state. And then all through the Bible, we can look at the man of sin in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. He sits himself in the temple of God, making himself to be God. And then here in Revelation chapter 13, we see again the papal power, the defining characteristic, is an apostate church joined to a political power, union of church and state. That is the characteristic, defining characteristic of the papacy. And so when we look at the image of the beast, what do we suppose we'll see? we will see the same thing. Apostate Christian power joined together with a political power. That's the image of the beast. Union of church and state at the end times. Okay? And a couple things I want to point out here in Revelation 13 verse 5. I'm just going to touch on this and then we're going to move on to what the focus of this lesson will be. Um, Verse 5, it says here, There was given unto him, meaning the papal power, the beast of Revelation 13, first beast, a mouth speaking great things. And this is a direct quote uh, from Daniel 7 of the little horn. And blasphemies. Oh, excuse me. I I was reading verse 5. Anyway, I'll read it anyway. Blasphemies and power was given unto him to continue 40 and 2 months. 40 and 2 months, 1260 days. And verse 6, and he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God 
to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. So he blasphemes four things. He blasphemes God. He blasphemes his name. He blasphemes the tabernacle. And he blasphemes those that dwell in heaven. Interesting correlation here. Blaspheming God, meaning he makes himself to be God. And isn't that Satan's goal since the very beginning? And there he makes a statement. I need to be worshipped. And uh, that's the whole purpose of the image of the beast. He wants to be worshipped. And, mark of the beast, Sunday legislation. We'll come to that. He blasphemes his name, meaning the name of God in Hebrew culture, or back in those days, name represents character. God says, when Moses says, show me your glory, I beseech thee, show me your glory. God says, I will pass before thee. You will see my goodness and my mercy and my name. A name represents character. So he blasphemes God's character, which is also another tactic of Satan or purpose in the great controversy. And he blasphemes God's tabernacle. This one is rich because the sanctuary message is, or the sanctuary service is the method by which God will finally solve the great controversy. So when Satan blasphemes the tabernacle, he is trying to blast away the only uh, method that God has in place to solve this whole problem. And so the tabernacle, he has his own priesthood, he has his own temples, he has his own rites, he has a human priest instead of Jesus, our high priest, and all of these things. Nullifying the heavenly sanctuary service. And then he blasphemes those that live in heaven. And interestingly enough, the papal power has ideas about saints and uh, purgatory and the immortality of the soul and uh, spiritualism, all of those things. It all comes together. It all has, plays a part in the final conflict and Satan's plan. All right, so I'm just going to touch on that, and we're going to move on here. Now, let's skip down back to Revelation chapter 13, uh, verses 13 through 17. We're going to spend the remainder of the class looking there. So the image to the beast arises out of this second beast power. And there are five phases that we see in Revelation chapter 13 in the establishment of the image to the beast. Five phases, okay? And these five phases are steps, and you'll see why. It's pretty clear that they go in succession. It's not all at once. Five phases, five steps that lead up to it. And using those five steps, we can have a better idea where we are in the, the whole scheme of things. So, okay, so let's ba go back to Revelation 13, verse 13. And we will look and try to extract these five steps, okay? Verse 13, And he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on earth in the sight of men. Phase one, or step one, Great wonders or miracles, even fire coming down from heaven. That's the first phase. Verse 14, and deceives them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast. That's phase number two. And you see, it cannot happen at the same time. It's one after the other. The miracles come first, and because of the miracles, the people are deceived. And who are deceived? It says, them that dwell on the earth. It represents a vast number of people, uh, the majority, if I could use that word. 
So phase number two, deceives the majority by the miracles. Okay, verse 14 again. Saying to them that dwell on the earth, that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. This is step number three, and perhaps most imp important for us to catch. Who is it that makes the image? The third step is the image is set up. That is the third step. But who does it? Is it the second beast? Or is it the people that dwell in the earth? Of course, the second beast has a significant part to play because he's the one that is influencing people to do it. But it's the people. You notice that. The people that dwell on the earth, that they should make an image to the beast, which had a wound of the sword and did live. And verse 15, this is phase four. And he, meaning the second beast, had power to give life. And the marginal reading actually says breath. Interesting imagery there. Give breath unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. Phase number four, life or breath is given to this image so that he can speak. And just think for a moment, what does it mean for a beast to speak? How does a political power speak? Okay? And then fifth point is actually the last part of verse 15 and verse 16. Um, as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. Verse 16, and he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. So it is the mark of the beast. The mark of the beast is closely linked to death, a death decree. So there's no buying or selling. And then eventually, um, actually that's verse 17, that no man might buy or sell. So the mark of the beast is a fifth phase. And the mark of the beast involves a number of things. No buying and selling, and eventually it leads to a death decree. So you see the five steps. First of all, there is miracles and signs and wonders, and it leads to a deception of the vast majority of the world. And because the world is deceived by these signs and wonders, this beast has influence over them and says, you should create an image of the beast. And the people rise up and they set up this image. And they set up the image, and then the second beast gives that image its life or its breath. And how do we know when it's breathing or living? When it has the power to speak. And then once it speaks, the next thing that it gives is the mark of the beast. You see the progression in Revelation chapter 13, okay? So let's go back through these phases and look at them a little bit deeper, okay? First is the miracles. Signs and wonders specifically mentions fire coming down from heaven. Now in the Bible, question. Okay, she has a question. We need a mic. I was just curious is who do you think it is in a physical manifestation that's actually calling the fire down from heaven? Okay, let's talk about that. The question is who in the physical manifestation is calling the fire down from heaven? All right. Now we're going to get to that in a moment, but let's just ask this question ourselves. When did, the, in the history of the Old Testament, when did someone call fire down from heaven? Elijah, and there's another one. There's two that I'm thinking of. There might be more. Actually, there's three. Elijah did it twice. You remember? He, he was sitting in the tree or on the hill. Fifty men come. He calls fire down from heaven. Boom! 
Burns them all up. Another 50 come. Boom, burns them all up. And finally, the last one says, have mercy on us. But <clears throat> there's another one. It's not Elijah. It's the dedication of Solomon's temple. And in every single one of those instances, what did fire coming down from heaven represent? God's presence, yes. And also, more importantly, God's acceptance. The dedication of the sanctuary, God accepts this sanctuary. I endorse it. On Mount Carmel, God is endorsing Elijah, saying, this is my prophet. And even when he was calling fire down to destroy all of those soldiers, essentially it's the same thing. I am God's, or God is saying, this is my representative. So now to your question. At the end of time, the signs and wonders, it may not be specifically an instance where fire comes down from heaven, even though that is entirely possible. But it is more a, a demonstration of miracle-working power so that people are deceived as to whether or not God accepts this false movement. Let me put it another way. That's sort of uh, verbose. That's, that's exactly right. It's an equivalent. It may not look exactly the same, but something, some miraculous, significant event takes place or events or happenings that certain individuals or groups can say, because this is what happened, God is on our side. And certain specific examples. If you look in the book Great Controversy, I should have printed that quote here. Specifically, the Great Controversy mentions spiritualism as the fire coming down from heaven. And isn't that a, a very easy way for people to claim that God is on their side? Because most of Christendom believes in the immortality of the soul anyway, individuals can say, you know, bring up people from the dead, bring up a saint, and, and talk to the dead, read the future. And instantly, the vast majority of the world will say, you know what, you're right. Spiritualism is one of the major uh, fire coming from heaven experiences that we can expect in the end times, okay? Other things, miracle healings, uh, also the charismatic movement, the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues, all of these things are representations of fire coming down from heaven in false revival, false revival. It says, people say, look, God is with us because I can tell the future or I have the Spirit because I can speak in tongues. And uh, unless we are Rooted and grounded in what the Bible teaches, even the very elect, we are told, may be deceived. So that's number one, first phase. And the purpose for the most important, the purpose of the signs and wonders, far coming down from heaven, is to prove that this is of God, when in actuality it isn't. And just as a side note here, that is why in the end times, we, should, we are counseled that God will use natural means, specifically talking about healings, because we know that Satan's tactic is to use miraculous healings, miraculous signs to deceive. And that is one of the reasons why natural healing is uh, promoted, because that's how God can still work miracles today. Okay? All right, so number two. Number two, this one, uh, them that dwell on the earth are deceived by the miracles that this beast is able to do. So this deception 
basically, we've already covered this, is a majority of the world type deception. It's not just a localized individual or two. And three, this is perhaps the most crucial for us to recognize. Third is the image is set up. And the image being set up is, <laughs> it comes from the people. And particularly if we just think about the US government, things happen through the representation form of government, republicanism. And in the same way, that is how the image of the beast will be set up. It is not going to be a dictator that comes down or a, a, a president that just makes a one-time stamp or he signs a signature on just one bill that he himself unilaterally decided that it's going to be the image of the beast. It, that's not how it's going to happen. It is going to swell from the ranks of the people because they've been deceived. They will clamor for this and it will actually pass through a majority vote in the United States Congress. That is the, the type of legislation or the type or the method by which this image of the beast will come up. It will be undeniable. It will not be a uh, secret event that all of a sudden explodes upon the world. There are secret type of uh, events that will lead up to it. The spirit of prophecy is pretty clear about that. But the final image of the beast, it will be a decision that is asked for by the majority. And this is why I say that, okay? This is from 7 BC, uh, Bible Commentary, Volume 7, page 976. Already, preparations are advancing and movements are in progress which will result in making an image of the beast. So things are already in play, and Mrs. White wrote this a long time ago. So there's no question whether or not events are moving that direction. And do we know about everything? I'm sure we don't. Events will be brought about in the Earth's history that will fulfill the predictions of prophecy in these last days. So events will come. And then we continue. This is skipping down a few paragraphs, 7 BC 976 still. When the Protestant churches shall unite with secular power to sustain a false religion for opposing which their ancestors endure the fiercest persecution, when the state shall use its power to enforce the decrees and sustain the institutions of the church, then will Protestant America have formed an image to the beast and there will be a national apostasy which will end only in ruin. So you see, this is, this is, the, this is the picture. It is the Protestant churches that come up to the, church, uh, to the state demanding the state to enforce their policies. It doesn't go from the state to the church. It's not the state putting a lid on the church and saying, we're controlling you now. No, no, no. It goes the other way. It's the Protestant churches, because it's predominantly in the Protestant churches that they see the fire coming down from heaven, the revival, the spiritualism, all of these things. And they, as a majority, influence the state to enforce what they want. You see, this is a very important distinguishment. It's the churches that ultimately lead the state to enforce what they want. Not the state controlling the churches. Those are two different things. Okay, but there's more. It's, uh, this is in Great Controversy, page 445. When the leading churches of the United States, uniting upon points of doctrine as are held by them in common, 
shall influence the state to enforce their decrees and to sustain their institutions. Then Protestant America will have formed an image of the Roman hierarchy, and the infliction of several civil penalties upon dissenters will inevitably result. Next paragraph. The image to the beast represents that form of apostate Protestantism which will be developed when the Protestant churches shall seek the aid of the civil power for the enforcement of their dogmas. We've read three different paragraphs all saying the same thing. Protestant churches, the majority or the people, the root, they go up the system and they end up bringing political support on their side. One more paragraph here. Great Controversy, page 588. Through the two great errors, the immortality of the soul and Sunday sacredness, Satan will bring the people under his deceptions. While the former lays the foundation of spiritualism, the latter creates a bond of sympathy with Rome. The Protestants of the United States will be foremost in stretching their hand across the gulf to grasp the hand of spiritualism. They will reach over the abyss to clasp hands with the Roman power, and under the influence of this threefold union, this country will follow in the steps of Rome in trampling on the rights of conscience. So threefold union between apostate Protestantism, specifically in the U.S., spiritualism, and the papacy. And who is the initiator? According to this, the Protestants of the United States will be foremost in stretching their hand across the gulf. Reach for spiritualism, and then they reach for the papal power, threefold union. Okay, so that's step number three. The image is set up because the people want it. It's not going to be a secret alliance. Although this has happened before, a secret alliance between the U.S. president, Ronald Reagan, and John Paul II, they had a secret alliance that actually brought down communism. So I'm not saying those things don't happen. But what I'm saying is that that is not how the image of the beast will happen. There may be movements that put positions and the pawns in place, but the final decision will be, will be an overwhelming decision by the people that they want to rule against what the Constitution has given them. That is their freedom. That is how the final movements will take place. Okay, step number four, life or breath is given to the image. So the people... They stand up and they say, we want this type of government. We want the civil power to support our dogmas. And the breath given to this image of the beast is the United States government giving voice to those religious dogmas. And how does a political power speak? By its legislation and by its laws. That's exactly right. So we know that the image of the beast is living and well when there is religious legislation coming forth from our halls of Congress. And then number five, what is the mark of the beast? It is a piece of legislation, isn't it? A piece of religious legislation. And this is going to be the final piece in the puzzle. So the mark of the beast, it is, you know, this is going to be another assumption I'm going to throw out, okay? It is, some, it is a contrast to the seal of God. It, is, it occupies the same place in the forehead as the seal of God should, rep, uh, should occupy. And um, it is actually explained right here in 7 B.C. 977. So 7 B.C. 977, this is the definition of the mark of the beast. 
And uh, forgive me, I know I should spend time going through this, proving from the Bible, but not the focus of this class period today. All right? Sunday keeping, it says, is not yet the mark of the beast and will not be until the decree goes forth, causing men to worship this idol Sabbath. The time will come when this day will be the test, but that time has not yet come. So Sunday keeping is not yet the mark of the beast. Sunday keeping is not the mark of the beast. The mark of the beast is when Sunday keeping is enforced by legislation. That's when it becomes the mark. And so the reason why is because it is not a mark of the beast until it comes from the image of the beast. The image of the beast has to be set up first, and then when the image speaks the law of Sunday legislation, then it becomes the mark of the beast. Right now, it might just be a mark, but it's not the mark of the beast because the beast hasn't issued it yet in the sense of a legislation. Of course, we know that, you know, evangelistic crusades, you can go look it up on video verse, audio verse. Um, many quotes where the papal power claims Sunday as the mark of their authority. They say, we change the Sabbath. We could change the law of God. So, uh, indeed, it is their mark, but not the mark of the beast in the end times. All right. So, we've looked at several things now. The five steps. Okay, I think I'm going to actually make it today. So, five steps that leads to the image to the beast. And when we come to this point in the presentation, some people, there, there's two extremes that people can fall under. One is skepticism. Or, or a medical term is they fall into a sedation. They think, oh, it can never happen. It will never happen. It's not possible. And then there's the other extreme where we say, oh boy, we better go and search up all of the latest information of all the secret meetings, all of the extra, you know, conspiracy theories to see what is actually happening. We can fall into both ditches and neither extreme is good. But what is dangerous that I, I see in the vast majority of Adventism is sedation. We think that we've been preaching this so long that it's not possible. It won't ever happen. But just think for a moment. Back when this message was originally taught and preached by the pioneers, it was just shortly after 1798. The papal power was in shambles. The United States was this fledgling country that just gained its independence. It was, they went through a civil war that almost decimated itself. And we're saying that this is the second beast of Revelation chapter 13. It's going, to, it's going to rule the world as a superpower, cause an image of the beast. You're ridiculous. But if we look at the world today, if the pioneers were alive and they saw our day today, I think they would feel very justified that their interpretation of Bible prophecy was exactly right. You know, when the Pope came in April... They asked President Bush, what did you see when you looked in the eyes of the Pope? You know what he said? God. <laughs> the, this president has a closer relationship and rapport with the Pope than any other president before. And also 9-11, you see very easily the scenario that this world has been put into. Satan is very cunning. He has put us into this position where we, we are left with the lesser of two evils. We either give up our freedoms for security or we give up our security for our freedoms. I mean, that's a pretty rough choice. Which are you going to choose? Do you want to be insecure and get blown up in your local mall? 
Or are you going to give up your freedoms and be willing to surrender some of your constitutional rights for security? You know, that's the dilemma that we're put in right now. And the, it's very easy for us to see how when we hit a certain tipping point, as the Spirit of Prophecy says, the final events will happen very rapidly. And so I think we are doing ourselves a great disservice to be skeptical of what Bible, the Bible has already said. The final events are upon us. We do need to be ready. But what's the proper response? How can we prevent going into either ditch? Well, the answer is in Revelation chapter 14. That is the answer to how we can be ready for the mark of the beast, for the image of the beast, for all of these no buying and selling, the time of trouble, all of these things. Revelation chapter 14 is God's final answer and his solution to this dilemma that we're in in these last days. So, the piano is going to play at any time, but again, next week there will be no class here. So for you, you'll have to leave you in breathless anticipation for Revelation 14 in two weeks with Norman. And uh, I won't be here for that. It's been a wonderful time teaching this class. And uh, I'll be back someday, and hopefully we can spend more time studying together. Okay? So let's bow our heads as we close. Father, we thank you for the warnings that you've given to us in your word. It is so detailed that no man needs to be deceived and no man needs to be unprepared. And Lord, as we look at these final events in earth's history, we recognize that we are on the cusp of the final avalanche of final events. And Lord, may we be ready, uh, particularly having that solid, faith-filled experience with you each and every day. Had good we pray that you'll be with us now in this class. Sabbath. We pray in Jesus' Sabbath name. Amen.